Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. And um, pretty eventful week. Was it? I didn't notice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no no idea. <laughs> None. Did you even watch the race? Did you know there was a race this week? Yeah, I did. There was the race in the war zone, right? Yeah. Because we don't race in war zones <laughs> except in Saudi Arabia. Okay. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. Oh. I thought you were setting me up. Not We race quite. as one except in Saudi Arabia. Arabia. So first, actually, we need to go back to race one. And that shocking... Awesome. Yeah. Issue with the Red Bulls. Awesome. <laughs> Make that happen more. <clears throat> so Red Bull figured out what happened. Their car broke It did. They said... So there were some allegations that the cars might have run out of fuel. Oh. Now, what we know is that the cars definitely turned off because they weren't getting fuel. But there appears to have still been fuel in the car. So then they were talking that it was a fuel pump issue. Yeah, and trying to put the blame at uh, Magneti Morelli, which I think we had mentioned, supplies the same fuel pump to every single team. Correct. It does not appear that that was the issue either. What they're saying is that they think that there was a vacuum that occurred in the fuel system. Which, what that says to me is that they weren't able to get all of the fuel that it was in the car out of the car. Well, or into the engine. Into the engine. So it was like it ran out of gas, regardless of where the gas really was. <clears throat> what I'm kind of, and, and they won't, give us any details what i'm kind of thinking happened is that it was an issue with the fuel bladder because remember these cars don't have tanks they have bladders if that bladder wasn't properly secured as the pressure went down could it be that fuel got trapped in a part of the bladder and couldn't get out no matter how much the fuel pump was trying to pull pressure you know that's that's got some reasonability and just, you know, the, it, it passes the smell test. I mean, we just don't know. There's like a hundred things that we don't know about how the bladder sets up and, and all of that. But yeah, if it trapped fuel in some part of the bladder that couldn't get to the fuel pump or the fuel pump, because as it vacuumed, it collapsed on itself, that's a definite possibility. But at the end of the day, and this was the most telling thing about this story that you have to remember... Other teams had issues when they were doing their long runs, but yeah. Red Bull hadn't done one of those. And what's interesting was you don't expect this to happen. So when they did qualifying, they didn't have the issue where they're on really light fuel. So it, <clears throat> it was an issue that incurred when they were on light fuel. But what seems to be the additional triggering mechanism is it had to have started with a loaded car. Yeah. So it had to go from loaded car to light fuel, not just the sip mm-hmm. that you get when you start to do qualifying. Because um, they didn't have that issue then. But because they had never done race runs in their testing, that's why, you know, when you fail to test, you 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 fail. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I just, I can't come up with a scenario where you end up 
with a vacuum in your fuel system. And was it really a vacuum or just, you know, an air bubble? A place where there should have been fuel and there wasn't. True. I don't know. But needless to say, both cars... And the other thing I think is interesting, the other notable piece was, I think it also highlights how hard Max was pushing. Because Max ran out of, quote, ran out of fuel before Sergio did. He ran into his issue. Yes, he ran out of fuel early. But, you know, in all ways, that was awesome and should be repeated (laughs) multiple, (laughs) multiple times. I don't think you're going to be quite that lucky. I know. I can, a girl can hope. So, from Bahrain, we remained in the Middle East and went to Saudi Arabia for the second time. Yeah. I, so, what it, it, and I'll go with the positive first because it, it truly kills me to look at the facility that is built and the skyline and everything around it and think, wow, that really looks amazing. Mm-hmm. It really does. But then you look at the fact that it's in Saudi Arabia. And I then have to look around, even without having to deal with any of the other stuff that, that went on this week, and look around and go, why are we in Saudi Arabia? For all that F1 is supposed to stand for, you know, we just had two years. I noticed that that, that's been forgotten now. But we just had two years of we race as one. Except in Saudi Arabia. And Formula One talking about, well, actually, we should back up a little bit. Because in 2020, we race as one, which, by the way, originally wasn't, an F1 initiative, it was started by McLaren and F1 took it and ran with it. Right. But it was supposed to be about unity and equality and, you know... Inclusivity. Inclusivity and up-raising everyone's spirits in a fairly dark time. And it quickly, because of all of the various events that happened in 2020 became very much about inclusivity and equality and anti-discrimination. And then we went into 2021 and Formula One continued the, the We Races One theme, but then started to tell us that it was all about their sustainability efforts mm-hmm. and that diversity and inclusion is part of their sustainability efforts. And then went to Saudi Arabia and Turkey and Bahrain. Those places don't have any human rights issues, do they? Yeah. And then we get to 2022. And especially after this week, I think the marketing team over at Formula One is looking for the biggest hole possible that they can shove all the Wii Races 1 paraphernalia into. <laughs> and then cover it up and pour concrete on top of it and light the whole thing on fire. 
So you're suggesting that the We Race as One marketing campaign is now a burn pit? Might as well be. Wow, you're 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 in a mood. Um I, I've been irritated over this race since Friday. And watching the conduct it's built. I can tell. <clears throat> okay, so let's let's unpack this for a minute. Okay. The reality is you've been irritated over the Saudi Arabia race for a year. Since they announced they were going to Saudi Arabia, because all of the undercurrents of what you said, we race as one except in Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. that you have not liked this from the get-go. There is too much bad blood, for lack of a better way of saying it, between you and the Saudis. Period. <laughs> okay. And so it started off on a bad foot. And then last week happened. And it wasn't just last week, because it really happened about a month ago when Russia invaded Ukraine. Because that set up up the first domino when our drivers, drivers that are socially minded, drivers that matter to us that have a conscience, stood up and said, we have no business having a race in Russia. It's in a war zone, they said. Even the drivers that we don't protect, I mean, Max Verstappen was... The second one to come out and say, we have no business racing in a war zone. Max of all people. So, and then Formula One did exactly the right thing. Mm-hmm. They turned around and they didn't just cancel the race this year and said, well, maybe we'll come back next year. They said, nope, we have no contract. We're done. We want no part of Russia at all. We're, we're, we are done. Now, they've pulled up short, or the FIA pulled up short on the Russian athlete side, but we have no part of Russia done. And we were praising them. And we said, see, this makes sense. This is, you know, they're, they're thinking. Maybe we have turned a corner. They're thinking it through. And then last week happens. Now, on the buildup to last week, you already accepted the fact that Bahrain was going to happen, that Bahrain, you've you've never mm-hmm. liked the fact that Bahrain happens. Bahrain has human rights issues. Not a real happy camper about Bahrain, <clears throat> but you hold your nose and you deal with it. Mm-hmm. We head towards Saudi Arabia, and truthfully, I think that you were in the I'm going to hold my nose and deal with it. I'll make my snide comments about how we don't race as one here. Um, you know. I still think that every team has missed the opportunity of putting a, a female driver in a test and um, in free practice well, one. We're we're going to get to why they probably won't do that ever, which I think is, I I really think that somebody needs to snub their nose at the whole thing. But that's just me. But anyway, you we've got that, and then we have what was it? A missile hit seven miles away? Well, we we can get to even before that. I believe it was last week when the Saudis executed 81 people for a wide variety of crimes. Um, I don't know how that went, but there was 81 people that were executed last week. Apparently another 16 that were executed this week. So... Which is impressive since it's only Monday. <clears throat> or, or, well, this week, when I say last week, I meant the week before Formula One went there. The week that, of the race, 
that was when another 16 were, were, were executed. Um, so there was that. Apparently, there were two, at least two drone and missile attacks going into the week around Saudi Arabia. And then Friday, during free practice one, there was a missile. So th- there's there's some interesting reporting depending on who you talk to around this. If you listen to the world media that was there, this was a either a drone or a missile attack uh, carried out by the Houthi, the Houthis from Yemen where the Saudis are engaged in a war, putting down a, a rebellion pretty brutally. Um, if you listen to the world media, that attack was at an Aramco refinery about seven miles away. If you listen to the Saudi government, it was a fuel storage tank. That's kind of a big difference between a refinery and a storage tank. <clears throat> now, it might have been a storage tank at the refinery. But the Saudis are just saying, well, it was at a storage tank. Okay. Approximately seven miles away from the track, the drivers could see, and and this was during the practice session this occurred, the drivers could see the smoke, they could smell it. Max Verstappen actually radioed his engineer and go, hey, I can smell something burning. What's going on? Thinking that it was the car. Nothing to see here. <clears throat> well, the the initial radio I heard was, yeah, copy that. We're looking into it. Because even the team wasn't sure what was going on. Um, ultimately, free practice two was delayed. And then when they finally had free practice two and wrapped it up, there was a four-hour driver's meeting. And it wasn't just that the driver's sitting down with the new race steward and talking about stuff. Stefano Domenicali was part of it. Ross Braun was part of it. The team bosses were all part of it. In and out multiple times throughout the entire meeting. Word is, the drivers, when they found out that there was a terrorist attack that occurred seven miles away from the circuit, threw their hands up and said, we ain't driving. Wow. And we're, we're, we're planned on boycotting the race. And it was the team bosses and Stefano Domenicali and representatives from the Saudi government that stepped in to try and talk everybody down. There's been rumors that have come out around some of the stuff that was said. Um, the one thing that has been clear is that the... the the team bosses, the principals, they all said that they were unanimous in their position and their decision that the race would continue and that they were comfortable with the safety. Um, the drivers, it took some coercing. There was a rumor flying around that the drivers were told that it would be Difficult for them to leave the country if they elected not to race. Now, this has been denied. And actually, in the, Euro- the English press has, called, has said it, it's been rubbished. 
Mm. However, it's not unprecedented either for the Saudis. So apparently a couple of years ago, there was a WWE event, which, okay, riddle me this. What the hell is WWE do? Why would the Saudis want WWE even in Saudi? But apparently they go there pretty often. Actually, from what I understand, there's a there's a big draw there. Um, I don't understand it, but then again, I don't understand it. But um, there's a comedian, and I've lost his name, um, that regularly does the Saudi tour. And I was actually probably in the last year hearing his bit on <clears throat> flying in to, to mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia, getting picked up in the black car. Um, to get taken to the venue that he was going to. And he, he said it was like another world, but it was a similar WWE thing that there is this love for all things truly this Americana thing. Hmm. Um, but it's all done out in the middle of the desert in sort of almost in secret. It's really creepy. So apparently WWE cut their live feed earlier than the Saudis wanted them to. And it pissed the Saudis off. And in response, they were denied departure clearance. Their their planes were denied departure clearance and held at the airport for six hours. Oh, my. Yeah. So while that may be denied, it's not like it. the Saudis haven't pulled it before. What honestly, what I think happened, truly, and, and what I'm drawing on is what happened in, in the comments that we heard in Australia in 2020, when those decisions were being made as to whether or not to hold the race or what was going on. How many team bosses did we hear say that their opinion was and their feeling was, and the stance that they took was, "We're here to race. We're racers. We can race. We're going racing." Mm-hmm. And all of the other stuff that was going on did not matter with the exception of Zach Brown, who had sick folks on his team. Everybody else was, we're here to race, we're going to race. And it was the local government that said, yeah, no, you're not. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if that's what went on when the team bosses went in there. We're racers, we're here to race, we're going to race. And if you guys aren't willing to, we're going to come after you legally with contractual issues and whatever and i mean i have no evidence that that's the case but i wouldn't be surprised if that was the case i wonder if there's also a side piece of um you know we're racers we're here to race we're gonna race with the side piece of this gives everybody a little break you know it's it your entertain the the entertainment side of it um Gunther okay. came out and said that, you know, if none of these drivers want to race, we got Pietro. He wants to go. We'll put him in a car. I don't know. Yeah. I, I there, there, There's a lot about Gunther. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> I don't necessarily know. I don't think it necessarily was the right decision. I think it stands in very diametric opposition to the very good decision that they made about Russia. I think that that's problematic. I feel like part of this is money talks. 
and that it's, you know, they're going to sell out to the highest bidder regardless. And that bothers me because if it puts anybody in danger, that bothers me. Um, But at the end of the day, they decided to race. They had the race. I think I'm more disturbed by the Stefano trying to walk it back and trying to justify it. Well, there's all of that, and I'm going to get to that. But I I agree with you 100% is after what happened with the races in Russia and how quick we were. And admittedly, at that point, while we knew that sanctions were coming, they weren't under sanction yet. And that Mm -hmm. probably would have had an impact. But I, I don't understand how you go from... We, we don't want to go and, and race in a war zone, and it's not appropriate. And admittedly, Sochi wasn't, I mean, yeah, it's adjacent, but it, it's not that close to the area. I mean, it, it, it's on the... I would think that it's greater than seven miles away. It's greater than seven miles away. But how is it you're, you're, you're not willing to go to Sochi because it's a war zone... But Saudi Arabia, when there's terrorist attacks going on, yeah, that's cool. We're we're okay with that. I just, I don't understand that. Well, I don't think that what, the missing part of that equation is the dump trucks full of money. There's that. And it's also, as I was chewing on this earlier today, I was thinking back of all things to Nikita Mazepin's statements of the politics of this and, and, and all and, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, as much as I think Nikita was a fool and he doesn't understand what was going on in Russia, this kind of says that maybe he understood more than, than we thought he did. Yeah. And it's entirely possible. But at some point <clears throat> You have the opportunity to use the venue to shine lights on places to make change. And if you're not willing to do... I'm call on that one next because, yeah. But if you're not willing to do that, or if you're trying to claim that your light has made changes that actually predated your light, it's it, it sounds hollow. And, and so if you didn't see it, um, pre-race on Sky... And I don't know if it was addressed at any other times in the coverage because in the U.S., the only pre-race coverage that we get of Skies, or, or the only really solid coverage that we get other than during the race commentary is pre-race on Sunday. We do know that they do pre-qualifying and post-qualifying for an hour each and post-race for another hour. We don't see any of that stuff. But pre-race on Sky on Sunday... Um, Stefano Domenicali sat down with Simon Lazenby to discuss the events and what's going on. And I didn't grab the audio, but I've got some of what he said. Um, He said, I think that it's not a matter of a question mark. And he's talking about the future of the, the, the race and whether or not there's questions that it'll continue. He says, I think that it's not a matter of a question mark. It's a matter of understanding the situation. We are not blind. But we don't have to forget one thing, that this country also through F1 and the sport on which we believe is doing a massive step forward. You cannot pretend pretend to change a culture that is more than a millennium in a blink of an eye. 
the resources they're putting in place to move forward, you can see here. Don't forget, a couple of years ago, women couldn't drive and they're here on the grid cheering the kids. They're partying, they're seeing the sport. They're changing a lot of laws in order to make sure that this is happening. We don't have to not consider that. Of course, there are tensions inside. There are things that, we, that have to be improved. We don't want to be political on that, but I do believe that we are playing a very important role in the modernization of this country. We are focused, of course, on making sure that these are the center of our agenda. Now, while he was saying all of this, and it ties into some of it, if you didn't see it, there was video being played on Sky of Saudi women celebrating that they got their driver's license and had the right to drive. And I want to be very clear on something. Women in Saudi Arabia were legally given the ability to drive in 2018. This race was announced in 2020. F1 and Stefano Domenicali under absolutely no circumstances have any right whatsoever to claim that they had a role in women getting the right to drive in Saudi Arabia. And to turn around and hold that up as a sign that F1 is bringing change to the sport, they're lying to themselves and they're lying to their fans. How do you really feel about that? I was pretty pissed when I saw him do it on Sunday. No, really. Because you're kind of pissed now. (laughs) But, you know, F1 wants to turn around and, 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 you know, you made the point. And sport wants to make the point of when we go to these countries that we are this force for change and we're shining a light and we're improving everything. You know what? When When has Formula One had that impact? They've gone to Bahrain. They went to Bahrain during the Arab summer when there were protests going on. And people were getting shot in the streets. And they went there anyway. What changed? They go to China with all their human rights issues. What, have, what has Formula One done to encourage change in China? Or Turkey? Or any country that they go into? And just because they've got a really shiny, really pretty race venue to go and hold the race at doesn't mean that you've made life better for anybody who lives in that country. And this is where it really kind of ticks me off because if I followed any other sport, if I cared about any other sport, I'd be like, you know what? Stop lying to me. I'm going to go somewhere else and I'll go go find my escape somewhere else and find a different unicorn chaser. But I don't follow any other damn sport. I, I need to put your soapbox away now. So I think the universal question here, when I sit back in my voice of reason mm-hmm. chair... Um, because you are obviously very passionate about your opinion. Um, and I think you have, I think your opinion has merit. But when I put my other hat on, my challenger hat on, I'm going to ask that question. Tell me where a professional sport has brought about change politically. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I, I don't have an example. Now, granted, I follow zero sport ball. Um, so I can't say, you know, somebody is on, somebody is listening going, well, there was this time and this one thing. But realistically, I mean, could the closest we come is the integration of baseball? Integration of baseball. And honestly, there probably are some. But what bothers me more, and, and why I'm so annoyed about this, is Formula One's insistence on lying to us that they're actually having an impact and they actually care. You know what? It's fine if you want to go and have races in these countries, but don't turn around and tell us that you're an instrument for change or the, and that you're going there for anything other than the big fat check that they hand you. Don't lie to us. Well, okay. And you're right. They shouldn't lie to us, although I think that it would not play out very well if they go, yeah, well, we understand, but they're giving us an awful lot of money. Well, okay, the, the thing with Bernie, when, when, you know, Bernie went to Russia and we thought it was horrible and Bernie went to Bahrain and Bernie has said the stupid stuff that Bernie says. Everybody knew, and this is why Bernie could get away with it, everybody knew that Bernie didn't care about any of that stuff. All he cared about was the money. And as much as it ticked us off that he was doing it, we also knew Bernie didn't care. So I think that to, to bring this whole thing full circle and to, to bring your blood pressure back down, <laughs> um, because that's something I care about. Okay, fair enough. I think that we need to think a little less about the outrage over the countries that Formula One is going to that we don't think they should be in. <clears throat> Or that they are not bringing about social change, even though they're claiming that they are. Um, and think about, well, what 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 can we do as fans, um, as 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 the 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 one in the middle of all of this? Because we only can control our reactions. I mean, we could boycott watching those races. We could reduce down the viewership and say. You know, we could write strongly worded letters. I mean, I could try to call Ross Braun again, though I have to tell you, he blocked my cell phone number. So I'm I'm now looking mm-hmm. for pay phones that I can call Ross on. Um, not as easy as it used to be. It's not. And I have a feeling it comes up as spam lightly. Probably. Um, so anyway, I, I think that what we ought to do as, as fans, as people who really do believe in the we waste as one, that was not a good slogan because it does not roll off the tongue well. But we race as one mantra because we do. And while they may be trying to bury it, it was something that we actually did believe in. Um, but as people that do believe in that, we should be thinking about what can we do and make it personal. And if this is something that you are this passionate about, so I've been I che- would challenge you. I've been chewing on that too. And again, I, I come up with the don't really follow any other. So really, my only alternative is to go, all right, we're all in with IndyCar now. 
and WEC or, or something like that. But Until WEC, they go someplace that you don't like. Well, that's like. the thing. WEC goes to Abu Dhabi. They go to the Middle East, but it's also harder to watch. And let's face it, IndyCar just screws up our day. Because <laughs> it's, it's in our day. Because it's in our time zone. But it's also the... As much as we have a voice on the internet, let's face it, we don't have a big voice on the internet. And if (gasps) the people who are screaming and yelling on Twitter and screaming and yelling on Reddit and screaming and yelling on Facebook aren't convincing Formula One that, hey, maybe you're going the wrong way with this, our small handful of voices isn't going to do anything. And I don't have a great answer as to... Well, what, I mean... But that's that's kind of my point, and it's not defeatist here. Other than saying we're not going to Saudi Arabia, and we're not going to Abu Dhabi, and we're not going to, I mean, to Bahrain. Well, we weren't going to anyway, but that's beside the point. Well, they might not have known that before, now they definitely know <laughs> that. I mean, you just took that argument completely out. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what we can do and i think it's important for us i mean yes it's really easy to sit in our own little world and go i'm one voice and what can i do because i'm small and they're big and try to affect change and the reality is we have to have some belief that we make a difference (coughs) and whether it's going on to to the social media networks, to the Reddits and the Twitters and, and, and challenging people and actually taking that stance and saying, this angers you, what are you going to do about it? If, if viewership drops, if, if you could organize a mass viewership drop in Saudi Arabia, they'd stop going. Or if you could, if you can, and that's that's like looking... You know something? I don't even think that that's the case. Because, again, how many times did we go to... Attendance got so bad with China that they were putting banners to cover the empty seats and we still went there. But that was attendance. I'm talking viewership. I mean, it it starts with one person. It starts with one movement that says... We, we're not. And maybe that's not the right, maybe that doesn't shake things up. Maybe that's not the way to do it. Maybe it is donations and, and pushing towards the activist groups to, to, to push on the governments to make change. And it's outside of the Formula One world. And if there's nothing other than Formula One just took you to a place that really ticks you off, and then you turn around and you look at Amnesty International or you look at these places that are actively working on the ground for change and say, I will support you and I only know about this because of F1. Then it's become a catalyst for change. But you've got to figure out how to make your righteous indignation. And I'm not saying that you don't have a right to be indignant into an action. Otherwise, you're just going to sit here and raise your blood pressure and we're going to spend another 36 minutes talking about 
how it makes you angry that they go to places that you don't want them to go. I mean, I'd argue that where they're going in Miami is not exactly the best place either. So. It's not, not the best place, but for a completely, not uh, for political reasons. Not for political reasons. And, and that's the thing. And by the way, rumor is we're about to announce a third U.S. race this week. Um, that Las Vegas is coming with the plan being that it would be held Thanksgiving weekend 2023. In a parking lot? I don't know. I hope not. We don't know. Um, But that's the rumor is that it may be coming as soon as Wednesday of this week. Um, And, you know, while we're beating up on Stefano Domenicali, so Stefano came out this week and said that, you know, they're looking to do a major shakeup to the calendar and add additional places and that there are historic tracks that may now be under threat for remaining on the calendar. And the two that initially folks came out with and and were talking about that Stefano was hinting at, and one of them, quite frankly, I'm okay with. The other, I'm not. So the first one was France, which I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You want to get rid of France? Sign me up. (laughs) I'll agree with that one. Um, But that's such a good nap. The other one was Spa. And I'm like, what are you thinking? It's one of the most popular tracks on the circuit. But and, and as, as I was chewing on this one, okay, so I get that they want to, you know, squeeze, that Liberty wants to squeeze every penny out of Formula One as they can. And to do that, they want to have as many races as possible. I get that. And we're starting to realize that there are some downsides to more Formula One as much as we like more Formula One. But really what I got, and, and I get that they want to really build up the American audience and it's and, and the U.S. has been underrepresented. But do we really need three races in the U.S.? Does it make more sense to have three races in the U.S. than two in Japan? I mean, I'm with you there. I'm also <laughs> very opposed to the, I mean, I'm with you. France, cut it off the calendar. I I wouldn't bat mm-hmm. an eye. Spa, spa. I, I I have a problem. A, it's not a boring race. B, it's well attended. Yeah. Um, and I like it. If you were if you were going to take a historic race that is well attended but boring, you got to look at Monaco. And Monaco's never going away. But you talk about a bad race. That's Monaco. And Monza could be another one too. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you. But I I mean so so again as much as I like this idea of more formula 1 and some folks are are comparing it to NASCAR because NASCAR also has a ton of races. Mm-hmm. And I think the big thing that Formula 1 and it seems odd that they would be missing this, but they seem to be missing is that a series like NASCAR that has so many races also has all those races in a pretty tight area. Yeah. You know, it's not unusual if NASCAR is moving maybe 200 miles a weekend Mm -hmm. to go from venue to venue. 
Formula One isn't like that. And, and, you know, if you want to be a global sport, and Formula One truly is a global sport, you have to have events around the world, which means stuff's really far away. (laughs) Yeah. And there's logistics and cost and... You have to you have to figure in other differences between the NASCAR world and the Formula One world. NASCAR uses all the same bodies. Those are stock cars. Yeah. So interchangeable pieces. You know, you crash one, you go borrow somebody else. Well, they're designed to be disposable. I mean, that's... <laughs> I mean, they essentially are tissue paper with an engine. Um, they don't have that opportunity. I mean, we're. Okay, spoilers. We're going to talk about Haas and and Mick Schumacher's crash. A million dollars in damage on that car. The whole rear end fell off when they picked it up. Oh, it's totaled. Oh, I mean, it's it's in pieces. And as Jensen Button completely, repeatedly, and overemphasized, it was made to do that. It's supposed to fall apart, and you're supposed to see all that carnage. you know, I kind of wanted to hit, bump his reset button. I was like, <laughs> I got it already. Let's talk about tires now. Um, but we're going to talk about Mick Schumacher, or I'm about to talk about it now because we're just pulling it forward. We're changing gears here. Haas could not run Mick. He was ready and able to be on the track for the race, mm-hmm. but couldn't run him for risk of they didn't have enough spares. So think to get to Australia. So think that through. NASCAR can trade cars and just change out the stickers. That's not a problem. And they're moving 200 miles. These people are going around the world. Well, also, if you're, and I think we talked about, was this last year or the year before, some of the logistics involved that the stuff that's headed to Australia was packed up and shipped out like three months ago. I mean, some of it, they obviously couldn't do the cars because they were still going through testing and there's changes. I mean, they're not going to go back with a, a different car into Australia. But, well, now they are. Well, <laughs> Haas has got a whole new car for Mick. Um, he didn't like his first one, so he just ran it into a wall. said, I need a new yeah. one. Um, but that's, I mean, it's crazy. And I mean, yeah, we've talked about the logistics of getting stuff from point A to point B. There's teams that are in Australia that have already been embedded in Australia for us to have a race there mm-hmm. by eight to 12 weeks before the race. And there are people that are headed to some of the European races already, even though that race is still in the future. So that's not the way NASCAR works. And to try to build... Formula One on the NASCAR model, I think would be a disservice to Formula One. To some extent, it may be. He's hinted that he wants to push to as many as 30 races a year. Now, the Concord Agreement limits them to 24. Yeah. So, don't know how that's going to work. And of course, again, going back to what we just talked about, how many places that Formula One really shouldn't be going to anymore would they have to do in order to do that? Well, and then you kind of have to worry about the law of diminishing returns. And and that's one of the questions. Because here's the thing. One of the reasons that NASCAR has so many races, and I haven't priced out a NASCAR weekend ever, um, (laughs) but so many races, but they're close together, is 
you get Ed and all of his buddies in their, you know, remodeled bus, school bus, because we saw them at the IndyCar track. And they go camping at the tracks. And it's a cheap weekend, drinking a lot of really cheap beer. Sitting in the infield. I'm not stereotyping at all, by the way. Sitting in the infield, watching cars run around in a circle. woohoo! And then they pack up their stuff and then they follow along. And because at some level the economics works, that they can go to multiple, you've got one person going to multiple races mm-hmm. in a season. Well, Formula One, by the nature of A, being spread out, and B, being expensive. Bernie Eccleston's pricing model. You have less of the sort of Grateful Dead-esque following. Now, there is a percentage. There are playboys out there that can afford yeah. it. There's people that can can do the, the, the deal to follow them around. But they're going to follow for a few races. You don't have that many all the race fans. Well, okay, put it in perspective because there is some pricing that we did. Remember when we used to go to Mid-Ohio, mm-hmm. we used to go to Mid-Ohio off of an annual pass. At Mid-Ohio. At Mid-Ohio. And that annual pass was, what, about $200 a person, mm-hmm. a little over $200 a person. That got us into every single event that Mid-Ohio had, including like the car club events. Um, but got The us Porsche into- Club was really thrilled for yeah. us to be there. <clears throat> Got us into every event that Mid-Ohio had, including priority parking at at least IndyCar, um, IMSA sports cars, full paddock access into IndyCar and IMSA and the historics and all of the other races. It It got us access. it, It got us admission into the NASCAR race but not into the paddock at the NASCAR race. Well, I was going to say, that was the I one... I think we like- had priority parking, though. Yeah. And that was 200 and change, and that included NASCAR and included all of that stuff. For 200 and change at the average F1 event, you're maybe getting grandstand seating? Yeah. One <clears throat> F1 event. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we've... To get paddock club access at one event, two to three grand. I was going to say it was almost five grand. Yeah. Um. So, Ed, you you got to have you you got to have friends. I mean, granted, we've gone to IndyCar on um, passes yeah. from our friends as we've met people along the way. I mean, that's important. But yeah, it is crazy expensive. It's more reasonable. I mean. It was under a grand to get a season pass to IndyCar. Now that would have for gotten the you family. <laughs> no, for one pass to oh. go to all the races through IndyCar. To they have a they have their own <laughs> yes that's right. race pass. Yeah. Um, I believe it was under a grand. You'd have hard card access to every race. Now it was general admission. It wasn't mm-hmm. you know the top end of the top end. Yeah. But if you were going to get in a camper and follow IndyCar around, you could do it for a grand. You're not going to all the races at F1 for a grand. No, not even close. So, all right. Um, We need to actually move forward or this podcast is going to last longer than the race in Saudi Arabia that they shouldn't have had. Well, you talked about Mick's incredible crash. And to, to tie some of the other stuff in, 
the drivers are still concerned about the safety of the circuit. Um, Carlos Sainz has come out and said, especially in light of what happened with Nick, that basically they did the bare minimum to make this circuit safer in the last four months. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's still a lot of concerns about safety around the circuit and whether or not it is fit for purpose. Then you add on top of it the political stuff that's going on and all of the other pieces. The drivers are pushing for additional meetings about the future of Saudi Arabia. The problem is, again, it's a lot of money tied up in this deal. Yeah. A lot of money. Um, so Lewis Hamilton had a rough weekend. He really did. This is, all right, so it's not quite as bad as the McLaren situation. Well, that's good to hear. And so the, the running joke going into this weekend with the McLarens is that everyone was calling them tractors. Um, yeah, there, there were quite a few memes running around the internet of tractors with the McLaren livery on. Yeah. Poor Lando Calrissian <clears throat> Norris. Yeah, we were expecting a whole lot better from that team. Well, they were so hot in the first round of testing at Barcelona. What did what did they change that they need to unchange? Apparently, this is still the brake duck issue. Mm. And trying to get that sorted out has been a lot harder than they expected. And because they're focused on that, they're not focused on the other issues with the car. Combined with, clearly there seems to be a problem with the Mercedes power unit in terms of power output. That's not Lewis's problem, though. What is Lewis's problem? So Lewis, because they can't even figure out how to set up the car, Lewis tried a setup with the rear end to try and make things better. It made things much worse. He had no rear grip whatsoever which is why he did so bad. Now, word is that part of, and I don't quite understand how this worked, but part of the problem that Lewis was dealing with in qualifying that knocked him out is it's this grip issue is extremely worse in a low fuel situation like in qualifying. Huh. So we should have seen something like this happen towards the end of the race on Sunday, and we didn't. Obviously, he found something in the car with that setup but it's it's not there according to george russell the porpoising is the biggest problem Mm -hmm. and the things that they're doing right now to address the porpoising are impacting performance so they've got a ton of town force that they can get off this car if they can get the ride height where they want to they get a significant amount of downforce and the car performs well The problem is to bring the ride height where they need to, they get the porpoising. And the porpoising is extremely bad at the higher speeds, which means they can't go as fast because it's harder to control. It's harder to see. It's harder on the car. It makes them sick. (laughs) (coughs) So until they can figure out the porpoising issue, they can't get everything else sorted out. Originally, we were hearing that Mercedes was expecting to bring upgrades to Imola that they expected to sort it out. It now sounds like they're targeting to have some new floors in Australia 
that they're hoping will address the issue. Yeah, that's that seems to be the key is like what the floor design needs to be to address the porpoising. Because the problem is right now, the porpoising is so bad they've raised the ride height. But when you re- raise the ride height, you lose the downforce, you lose the performance. You can't even go as fast. Right. So that's having an impact on everything. Yeah. And from what I'm hearing, the porpoising was something that the wind tunnel test for all the teams, the wind tunnel test they couldn't replicate. Because in order to get the ride height low enough to trigger the porpoising, you would destroy the rolling road that the car sits on in the wind tunnel. Oh, so then they're not wind tunneling the the car that they want to run. Right, and that's all the teams. That's not just the Mercedes problem. Mm-hmm. That's everybody has that issue. I don't know how they deal with that one either. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's where you hope that the computational fluid dynamics works because that's your option for... But, but budget cap, is, they've been trying to restrict that testing. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, all I can tell you, and this is my grand hope for both Lewis and Mercedes. To figure this out? Apparently, every pundit on the grid says that if Mercedes can sort this and sort it quickly, they will be like a bat out of hell. That's what we think. Mm -hmm. But it's how quickly can they sort it. And the greatest line, the, the hopeful line that I have heard is that depending on how fast Mercedes figures this thing out could be how much of an effect of that double no points finish Red Bull had in um, Bahrain. So the only question, the, the only thing that brings me doubt there is... If this was strictly an issue with the car, then we shouldn't see the other Mercedes-powered teams struggling as much as they are. And with all the Mercedes-powered teams at the back, which is something we have never seen before since we've been watching Formula One and, and probably going back even further than that. But since this impacts all the Mercedes cars... Is it really a matter of Mercedes fixes the problem with their car and they're going to take off? Or is there something just like we talked about years ago with McLaren of the the powertrain was hiding all of the fundamental design issues with the car? Do we have fundamental design issues with the car hiding powertrain issues? I can't answer that question. That's an unanswerable question. I think that you're probably right. I think they've got to sort the porpoising first because you have not unleashed the power of the power unit until they sort that. But the other piece of that puzzle is, are the other Mercedes-powered cars porpoising as bad? And is that are, are they just as bad on that too? To some extent. I mean, we certainly saw it with the in-camera view mm-hmm. from Lando. You could certainly see his head bobbing around there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's obviously what we're watching. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to be hopeful because otherwise I'm going to be in the corner crying that my guy is not doing well this season. You're going to have to be a, either a Charles Leclerc or a Carlos Sainz fan. 
I didn't think it was ever bad. a world in which I would root for the little red car. Um, but right now, much like I hear some sport ball fans going, you know, whatever their rival team is, as long as it's not them, I'm, you know, I'll cheer for whoever's play. I'll cheer for my team and whoever's playing the rival okay, team. So, so I don't condone sports betting, but there is one of the sports betting places that he talks about that this is the time of year and he's wearing the shirt that says go team. And this is the time of year that, that fans are, are, are losing faith and, and he's watching TV and goes, I don't believe it. And, and he starts to talk about how there's other ways you can take advantage of betting on, on sports betting. And he, all of a sudden he, he's now wearing a shirt that says go other team. That's <laughs> kind of what this is. <laughs> We've gone from go team to go other team. <laughs> well, I, I've, I've gone to the, I will cheer for whoever is ahead of Max. Okay. We are we are at that point where I will cheer. I mean, honestly, I will say this out loud. I'm not a huge Red Bull fan. I'm actually fairly anti-Red Bull, mostly because I'm anti-Christian Horner. Um, but I would cheer for Sergio Perez. I, I would cheer for him. Yeah. I will not cheer for Max. I cannot do it. I will cheer for whoever is racing Max. I will cheer for whoever is racing Red Bull. I mean, we used to support Daniel Ricciardo when he was driving for Red Bull too. So you know, I supported Mark Webber too. Mark Webber. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the number two driver. Ooh. So recently pretty, was a, I know pretty good for an old man. Yeah. Pretty pretty good for a number two. Um, recently, this was like an anniversary for Multi Twenty One, wasn't it? Yes, it was. This past week was was. Multi twenty one Seb. Multi twenty one. Multi twenty one Seb. Yeah, multi twenty one. Um Pierre Gasly. So the good news this week, he finished the race. His car didn't have a, a barbecue in the back. Oh, that's good. So, so, so there not was lighting that. on fire is a good thing. And and apparently there was a discussion during the BBC radio commentary about hot fire and cold fire and yeah that that maybe that was a cold fire yeah you'll have to go watch or or, or listen to to their their radio coverage of the race to oh my jack nichols and thermodynamics and all of that yeah anyway <laughs> um but while he finished the race apparently he suffered some severe abdominal distress enough that he was in as he put it, he was screaming in pain the last 15 laps of the race. Ouch. Yeah, so we don't know what's going on. He said the pain was predominantly on his right-hand side. He was going to go talk to the doc. We have not seen an update on that. Um, so hopefully this was something that was minor and not having to deal with the stresses of that track has made go away. I hope so. I hope he's not headed for an emergency appendectomy. Um. Alex Albin got a five, or excuse me, got a three-place grid penalty for Australia because of his tangle at the end of the race with Lance Stroll. Oh, so even though it knocked him out, caused the safety car or caused the yellow flags, he got a three-place grid drop for causing a collision. Mm. Okay. At the front of the grid, what we were allowed to see. Hmm. Because once again, our coverage sucked. All right. I get it. 
Lewis Hamilton is a fan favorite. He's somebody that we root for and we want to know what's going on. But, you know, when there was that battle going on at the front of the grid between uh, Charles Leclerc and Sergio Perez and they're running each other down, I really didn't want to see what Lewis was doing. I didn't. I wanted to know the gaps. I wanted to know what was happening. Or as we I mean, got to the end of the race, and it got, te- I mean, great end of that race, and it got tense, and we want to know what's happening, and we want to know whether or not Max is catching up on Lewis. On, or excuse me, on, on Charles. Charles. And we're cutting to views of the visor cam, which tells us nothing. We're not being given the gaps because they're showing us what tire everybody's on with five laps in, left in the race. Because who cares how many pit stops somebody's had with five laps left in the race? Seriously. This producer, if there was anybody that they could leave behind in Saudi Arabia, it should be this producer. Because what they did for the coverage this week was criminal. <laughs> Oh my word! It Send wasn't your, good. It was. It was. Send your complaint letters worse. to Stefano Domenicali, care of Bloke and the Bird podcast. It, it, it's getting worse. Um, it is. But I challenge in my role of co-host this week is obviously being the challenger. I challenge you. Really, can you have too much, Lewis? Seriously. Okay. No. If you want to take away the and, and yeah, actually, if Lewis is down in fourteenth place and we're trying to figure out what's going on at the front, might be the wrong time. But you know it's bad when even Jensen Button is going. Yeah, it'd be really nice if we could actually see the race. <laughs> no, he wanted to see what was going on in the front, and he said, "But think about all the sponsor time that they." <laughs> well, no, that was earlier. That, that was during the whole um, Alpine mm-hmm. showdown. But at some point towards the end, when they flashed once again to the visor cam, and we've got a battle going on, and he's like, well... And, and they started commenting commentating on the battle, and oh, we're, we're back in the car again. Really? Or there was the replay that we got that we all, everybody, be, between the commentators, us in the house, we uh, of Charles driving down the straight and everybody going, why are they showing us this? <laughs> why, why is this in replay? There's nobody around him. Why do we care? It was bad. It was a lovely red car going down a straight. Yeah, I. Anyway. So, are you saying that the producer of the world feed needs to be left in Saudi Arabia? Should be Michael Mossied? Yes, very much so. This was horrible. Anyway, to the race. Mm-hmm. So, it looked for sure like the Ferraris had the Red Bulls completely sorted out and. We're assuming because, well, our DVR cut it off because... So when we record qualifying in the races, we set the DVR an hour 
because we're like, normally an extra hour covers the safety car periods, any kind of red flags, whatever. And we're normally good with an extra hour. Mm -hmm. We set it for an extra hour and we lost the last three minutes of Q3. When apparently Sergio Perez came out and drove just this absolute barnstormer of a lap to take pole. Exactly. That I guess post-race, Sky went and asked Sergio what he did during the red flag period, you know, to keep himself active and going and and to, to set him up for that amazing pole lap. And Sergio said, well, I went out, we went to the bar, drank some tequila, came back, <laughs> took a shower, had a nap. <laughs> to which every Saudi that was there had exploded since it's a dry country. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. So we hear he had a really good lap. Yeah, we have no actual proof of some things. But... You have a story up that the headline confuses me. Yeah. So, and and they talked about this. We, we heard a little more confirmation about it during the race from the commentary. That Red Bull set the car up for race pace, not for qualifying pace. Mm-hmm. And it has to do with the... the, the um, the the size wing that they used and the amount of downforce that they had available to them so the ferraris have the quicker had the quicker qualifying pace but shockingly we're losing a lot of time to the red bulls in the straights right and that was apparently the magic formula here that's what put the red bulls ahead even when yeah sergio was already in front it's what gave max what he needed to get ahead of them was that that change in downforce and the slower speed in qualifying to put him further back. And I'll be honest with you, I think this was a huge gamble. And I think they were looking at it from that perspective of what they've seen in Bahrain and knowing the fact that the cars can follow closer together and they do have a fighting chance to pass that they could pull it off. Because I think if this was last year's cars or... Three years ago, those cars where they had such a problem following, I think this would have been a losing prospect. Mm-hmm. You know, one of those things of if you didn't have the track p- position in the beginning, you were not getting it back. Um, I think this is a sign that the new rules are actually kind of working. Well, that's definitely the current talk is that the new rules are allowing the cars to to get closer to pass we're getting some exciting pieces of the race mm-hmm. which i think is all great um i did love the commentary piece uh during the race that jensen was telling that he actually wrote drove a different wing in monza one year yes um and explained this <clears throat> phenomenon that it's the higher wing versus a lower wing and everybody in monza runs a low wing because mm-hmm. of the speed and he ran this high wing because they feared that they could make it up in the corners. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly, and he won. Um, and it's it's playing that game of, do you have the power that if you did an alternate strategy like that, can you make it up in the straights or the corners? Mm-hmm. Just keep in mind, for years and years and years, Red Bull didn't necessarily have the best straight line speed, but they had the best corner speed. Most of the years that Sebastian Vettel won 
his championships, it wasn't in the car that was faster in the straights. Right. It was the car that could handle the corners the best. Mm -hmm. And by being able to handle the corners and get out ahead, he was able to make the time up in the corners where everybody else had to slow down more. Yep. Um, And then he didn't lose as much in the straights as he, you know, didn't lose it all back in the straights. So I think it's an interesting thing. I think it's going to be something that we need to watch this year is if they can travel closer are we going to start seeing some of these alternate strategies where they're stronger in the corner stronger in the straights to make up the difference interesting yep so we will see how that develops and finally since we're talking about crappy production actually i can't say i can't really say that because we still have not seen more than an episode of drive to survive but apparently Drive to Survive continues to get a lot of slack or from the drivers and a lot of fans over how things are being portrayed mm-hmm. and how drivers are being portrayed and how they come across and the manufactured drama. Right. Um, Stefano Domenicali has recognized that, you know, with drivers starting to say that they're not liking the way they're portrayed and are considering following Max's lead of not participating, that that's really not good for this show, especially considering how much it is clear that Netflix has built the fan base in Formula One and built the popularity of Formula One. If drivers start saying, hey, we're not going to participate because you're making us look like crap, Mm-hmm. maybe they might want to do something. Um, so he has acknowledged that that they're going to have a conversation with Netflix about how things are working and the things that they are doing to engineer drama on the show so that they can rethink this. Now, he's not committing to any actual changes, just that they're going to have a conversation. We shall see how that goes. I'm just going to pull the most hipster of hipster comments we were formula fun one fans before drive to survive yes we were i mean it was obscure back then but <laughs> just so you all you new newbies understand you, you know what i'll say to the drive to, and again since we haven't seen anything other than the first episode yet is when lando norris looks up and goes yeah, I'm not real happy with this and, and, and how this is making me look. I think that's worth paying attention to um, because of the following that Lando has. And if you watch Formula One, you see the personality that Lando has. And for him to come up and say, I don't like how they're portraying me, that should be kind of worrying. It, it should be. Especially around the fact that he's a heck of a nice guy. Mm-hmm. And he's a lot of fun. And he's a great face for the sport. Oh, absolutely. Um, and the just the sheer fact that he, there's so much drama on the track. They don't need to manufacture it. Yeah. They, they, honestly, and especially this past year. I mean, obviously, we haven't seen it. I don't know how much they did. And there's part of me that just doesn't want to because I don't want to relive some of these pieces. <laughs> But there was so much. You didn't have to make it up. You didn't yeah. have to 
make, you know, hyper focus on something to make it seem bigger than it really was. Let's be honest for a minute. Formula One is a really small community. The drivers, the team bosses, they all have to work together in a lot of ways. That's their own bubble. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there can be consternation and there can be battles on the track, but most of them leave it on the track. And what we like about this sport is that they walk off the track and they generally do try to get along well it, it the the things that we like are the stuff like watching the sky coverage do you remember a couple of years ago Jolian palmer's first year in formula one <laughs> yes and sky did a feature on Jolian with him driving um some kind of race cars along with martin brundle and johnny herbert mm-hmm and two of them walking in, and I don't remember if it was Martin Brundle or if it was Johnny Herbert, but one of them looked at Jolien and said, I remember pushing you around the, the paddock in a pram. Mm-hmm. And now you're driving Formula One. Yeah. That's what we like about the sport. Exactly. You know, you, you listen to um, Jackie Stewart talking about the, the good old days mm-hmm. and the wives and... The girlfriends and and their experiences those are great stories that's not manufactured drama yeah it, humanize these people don't over dramatize them and i think that's the difference that we have seen from watching and and, and i have to call out here the british coverage because in the years before we had um, the expanded coverage on one day on Sky, you didn't really see it on uh, Speed or NBC Sports, but BBC and Sky both in their extended coverage do these features with them. And, and we saw some of it this past or last year. Do you remember the, the challenge that Sky did with Lando Norris? And I think it was Carlos Sainz in the SUV in Spain with the milk. Mm-hmm. Yes. We used to see that kind of stuff on the BBC all the time. And we used to see it on Sky all the time. That's the kind of interactions and the kind of stuff that maybe Netflix should be looking Especially when they talk about how, and, and we've known, Esteban Ocon and Lance Stroll are good buddies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Charles Leclerc and Lando Norris and George Russell... And they are a very tight clique of of folks. Show that kind of stuff. Yeah. And show those interactions. And, you know, Charles Leclerc, who had his girlfriend paid for the premium Twitch subscription because she needed to tell him to unlock the door because she left her keys in the apartment. You know, (laughs) things like that. And the internet world went wild going, you have a girlfriend? <laughs> Wait a minute. You have a girlfriend? That's that's the stuff that's really cool. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think Netflix could have a rethink. Um, but top tip, Netflix, don't hire the producer of the world feed. Thank you. <laughs> and on that note, we'll call it a show. 
They are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. Whew.